Okay, friends, new sermon series, new look, and uh, some new texts. So we are digging into the Gospel of John during the month of uh, November. And can you believe it's November? It's like cold all of a sudden. I guess fall was short-lived, and here we are. It's practically winter. Uh, So John chapter 12 is where we are, verses 23 to 24. If you have your Bible, open it up to John chapter 12, or you can follow along on the screen as I read. These are the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 12, verses 23 to 24. Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. May God add his blessing to the reading and the understanding and the doing of his holy word. Friends, welcome to our new sermon series. After last month's series, which was on money, I thought this month we would get a nice light topic (laughs) like death. Aren't you so glad you came to church today? Yes, all right. Our series is called A Matter of Life and Death, and we are going to be opening the Gospel of John to see what John says to us about life and death and about life after death, right, which is our story. That's our story. We're going to cling to it. But I realize this is a heavy subject, and you're saying, oh, gee whiz, Pastor, you're going to bum us out today. So I don't want to bum you out. Let me offer you something lighter to begin with, okay? So each Sunday during the series, I'm going to give you my best death joke, okay? All right, here we go. Here we go. I didn't say it's good. I just said it's my best one. The new preacher in town was called on by the funeral home, and he was asked to do a graveside service at a pauper's cemetery. It was for a man who had no family and no friends and no money. Um, But being new to the area, the new preacher said, sure, I'd be glad to help. He wanted to offer the ministry of the church even to this stranger. And yet he didn't know where the cemetery was, so he asked for directions. And the funeral director gave him directions, and he scribbled them on a napkin. Well, the day of the service comes, and the napkin directions are of little help, and he quickly gets lost. And he's driving all over the county to try to find the right place. Well, finally, when he arrived, he was late. It was over an hour after the service, and he just felt terrible and guilty. So he walked over to the open hole there, and he preached uh, an impassioned and a lengthy service. And he sent the deceased off to the great beyond in style. Uh, and meanwhile, the, the backhoe was nowhere in sight. You know, the hearse had already gone. And the workmen were sitting under a tree. They were relaxing and, and eating their lunch. And as the preacher walked back to his car, the workmen shook their heads and they just kind of looked at each other. And one of the guys said to the other, you know, I've been doing this work for over 20 years and I have never seen anything like that in all my time of putting in septic tanks. <laughs> so I've never done a septic tank funeral. I, I've done a cat funeral, uh, but no, no septic tanks. Uh, true story. I'll tell you about it sometime. It was my first week as a pastor, and one of the staff had a cat that was dying. And they were like, hey, can you go like, do a funeral for the cat? I was like, I don't know how to do a cat funeral. But, you know, she loved the cat, right? We love our pets. And so would someone say a good word over this animal's life? Uh, so, uh, so... <laughs> Oh, we're getting way off track now. Uh, so death is painful, right? It's a heavy subject. It's depressing. It's not too much fun. And no, nobody really wants to talk about it. But the argument I want to make with you uh, is that we need to talk about it, friends. We need to talk about it, partly because everybody is going to die. 
Every person is going to die. Nobody is getting out of this life alive, are we, right? The temptation is to think, oh, it's not going to happen to me. Friends, it's going to happen to you. The temptation is to think, well, it's not going to happen for a long, long, long time, so I don't have to think about it. And hopefully not for a long time, right? But we don't know. We don't know. There's nothing that is, is promised to us beyond this day. We have today, and that is all that we have. And, and when we're young, we feel invincible, right? Like, like nothing could hurt us. We'll live forever. But uh, young people die, and it's tragic, and it's awful, but it's part of our reality. Uh, when I was in college, one of my fraternity brothers died. And, you know, it was just totally unexpected and out of the blue. And one day we were smiling and laughing and partying, um, and the next day Keith was dead. And we were heartbroken, and his family was heartbroken. And, you know, he, he's a college student. You know, this is like the time of your life. And, and here we are facing death together as, as friends. Uh, so I, I need you to hear this, friend. You're not invincible. You're not, you're not invincible. We will all face death. And I say that, please hear me, I say that not to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you. What I want to do is help you be prepared. I want to help you be prepared and to help you prepare those around you, the people that you love. Secondly, we need to talk about it because we live in a culture that denies death. Have you noticed this? We live in a culture, in a world that denies death. Most people ignore it. They resist it. They pretend like it's not true. Uh, And so paradoxically, we see, we witness hundreds of deaths on TV or in the movies, right? But in real life, it's like we keep it at arm's length and and we don't want to deal with it. Uh, A number of reasons, I think, for this. One is medical technology. Medical technology is extraordinary. We live so much longer now than we did before. So back in the day, it was normal for infants to die in childbirth, right? It was normal for women to die in childbirth. And now that's so rare. That hardly ever happens. We live much longer than we did before. Another reason I think we sort of deny death and keep it at arm's length is uh, the practice of the use of funeral homes. How many of you know funeral homes have only been around for about 150 years? Okay, right. So uh, for most of us, that means, yeah, hey, within our lifetime, right, it's been our reality. But actually, if you go back not very far, there was a day uh, for almost all of human history when, when someone died, when your family member died, you brought them to the house and you laid them out in the front room, the parlor, okay, laid them out on the table or on a cot or something, and your family and friends came and called on you and you ate sandwiches and drank punch and you cried and you laughed and you told the story of that person's life. And then when all that was over, you, you had a service and you buried them out in the back. You buried them out in the back 40 in the, in the family cemetery, okay? So now we have professionalized all of that, and we've asked funeral homes to take care of all of that for us. Now, I've got nothing against funeral homes. They do wonderful ministry. But the reality is it keeps death at arm's length, right? It kind of keeps it, well, you kind of do your thing over there, and I'll kind of stay over here, and, and I'm not sure if I really want to get very close to this, to this reality. We also deny death with our language, and I think you'll find this familiar. Uh, we don't like to use the words dead or dying, so we use euphemisms, and we say passed away or gone on to a better place, right? We try to sort of soften it with the way that we, we talk about it. Uh, this brings us to the third reason that we need to talk about it, friends. It's the church's job. It is the job of the church of Jesus Christ to tell the news, right? So we have been given the gospel, which literally means the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is on Easter, Jesus is raised from the dead. That's why we just sang all those resurrection songs, to be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, but why does Jesus need to be raised from the dead on Sunday? 
because he was killed on Friday. Okay, so telling the good news, part of it is also telling the hard news of crucifixion, the hard news of sin and of suffering and of death. It is the church's job to tell the truth, to say to a world that doesn't want to hear, la, 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 I'm not listening, to say, actually, yeah, death is real. And you know what? Death is awful. It is terrible. It is a terrible, awful thing. And yet uh, we need to tell the truth about it uh, because we have the good news that death is not the end, that death is not something to be afraid of because God is bigger than death, because Jesus has overcome it by his resurrection. So we're going to open the Gospel of John. And uh, John is unique among the four Gospels, together with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in that of the 20 chapters of the Gospel of John, almost half is about the death of Jesus. Did you know that? Starting in chapter 12 and going all the way to chapter 20. So nine chapters out of 20 are committed to the story of the death of Jesus. So John said, wow, this is a really important story. You need to know it in all of its details. And so John helps us to focus on death as well as life after death. So we open up John 12, and this is what Jesus says as he kind of turns toward Jerusalem and turns towards his own death. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, so Jesus is doing this sort of funny thing where he talks about himself in the third person. Okay, He's talking about himself as the Son of Man. He's saying, look, guys, my time has come. The hour has come. This is why I have been born on the earth for this reason, to die for the sins of the world. And the time is now coming. Okay, so Jesus is saying, look, this awful reality that you have not wanted to, to uh, be aware of, it's happening right now. And, and yes, it's awful. And death is terrible. Uh, you know, think about it for a second. If, if death really isn't that bad, then why do we need a savior, right? Death is terrible. Death is awful. It threatens to separate us from people we love and, and from the God who loves us. And so we need to acknowledge death is strong, but Jesus is stronger, Jesus is stronger. God is bigger than death. So Jesus says, look, you know, just like a seed gets buried, and if it gets buried and if it dies, it can be transformed into a, a multiplication of seeds. It can bear much fruit. So Jesus is using this metaphor to say, look, this is what's going to happen with me. I'm going to die, and you're going to be sad, and it'll be awful, but God will use that, redeem it, transform it to do incredible work in the world for the salvation of all the people. Okay, so th through something difficult and terrible, God brings something good and beautiful. That is how God works through our death and through our resurrection. Okay, so the point of today's sermon is not to make you afraid of death. Actually, the opposite. I want to make you not afraid of death. I want you to live and be able to say, you know, I'm, I'm not scared of that because the, the God I worship is bigger than that. The God I worship is bigger than death. You see, friend, the problem of death is not solved by avoiding it, right? It's not solved by ignoring it. When's the last time you solved a problem in your life by minimizing the problem or by ignoring the problem? That, that doesn't work, does it? Okay, so better to just name it. Say, yes, this is a problem. Yes, it makes us miserable. It's terrible, awful. I hate it. But God can overcome it. And God is overcoming it because God is bigger than death. Okay, so if we don't have to be afraid of it, then we can, like Jesus, talk openly 
about it. And this is the first practice that I want to commend to you, four practices of how we live faithfully in the face of life and death. Okay, so the first one is to talk openly. The second one is to make arrangements. The third one is to search your soul. And the fourth one is to be reconciled with God. So I want to take a minute just to kind of unpack each of these ideas. So we we talked about the importance of talking openly about life and death and not to be afraid to talk about hard things. The second one is we need to make arrangements. This is a really practical part of the sermon. It is good for you to be prepared and have your affairs in order before the time comes. Okay, so you need to have a will. If you have any assets, if you have any kind of things that you are a steward of, you need to have a will that spells out who would get them in the case of your death. And you need to have it prepared by an attorney. You need to have it notarized. It needs to be an official legal document. You do not want the federal government to be the steward of your assets, do you? No. Can we agree on one thing today? That would be be the one thing. You be a steward. You take care of it. Okay. You should have a health care power of attorney, which is a signed document saying, in case you become incapacitated, this person that you designate and trust would have the power, the authority to make health care decisions on your behalf. Okay, so if you go into a coma, who's going to be the person that says, here's what we do next? And that is your health care power of attorney. You should have funeral plans. Okay, when you die, your friends and family are all going to gather and they're going to sing songs and they're going to tell stories and they're going to pray to God and they're going to have a service of death and resurrection, right? But which songs are they going to sing and which scriptures are they going to read? You should tell them what you want in advance. You should speak it verbally. You should write it down. I do a lot of funerals. Here's the truth. Almost nobody does this. It's, it's kind of sad because people are sort of left to guess. Well, I don't know. You know, we could do this. We could do that. And families do the best they can to honor their loved one. But, you know, they wouldn't have to guess if you just told them. You know, my favorite song has always been this. And would you please make sure you sing it? And I don't care if you sing it beautifully or poorly. Just sing it at my funeral, right? And remember me and say, hey, that's, that's my story. That's my song. These are the things, we're, some of which we're going to cover next week at our How to Die Well workshop on Sunday afternoon. Okay, so first, talk openly. Second, make arrangements. Third, you are invited to search your soul. To search your soul, friends. In preparation for death, we need to do this this work of digging down deep into the inside of us and seeing what is good and what is not so good and inviting God to do his healing work on the inside of our lives. Uh, This is an ancient Christian practice. It got really uh, pretty popular in the 1400s in Europe. In the 1400s in Europe, people were dying by the millions. Do you know that story? Do you know why they were dying? The plague, right? The plague was happening. And so people were dying by the millions. And it was common, it was customary back then, as it is now, for a priest or a pastor to attend to the dying person and to pray with them and to pronounce forgiveness to them. But here's the thing. Uh, People were dying in such high numbers, the clergy could not keep up. Okay, there were not enough pastors and priests to go around to care for every dying person. So the church said, we got to do something about this. And what they did, they wrote a book. And the book is called the Ars Moriendi, which means the art of dying. So you don't need to remember that name, but just know that there is a re- this book, the resource that the church created to say, you know what, without a priest to guide you, this is how you die well. And it gave them prayers to pray and things to meditate upon and ways to focus on their discipleship following Jesus and encouragement to avoid despair and other temptations as they came nearer to death. And it also gave them a set of questions they could ask themselves to search their souls. 
Now, John Wesley, who founded the Wesleyan movement, he referred to this as self-examination. If you go to an AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous, they call this a, a searching and fearless moral inventory, right? So like dig down deep, see what is in here and think about it and pray about it. So ask yourself these questions. Do I have faith in Christ? Do I have a healthy fear of God? Remember, God is bigger than death. Remember, God is bigger than death. Am I truly sorry for my sins? Here's a good question. Am I ready to return to others the things I have obtained through theft or other immoral practices? All right. So before you die, it's a good idea to give back to people the stuff you stole from them. Right? Yeah, okay. And then this question, maybe the most powerful of all, uh, who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to forgive? Friends, all of us have people that we need to practice forgiveness with, right? Our family, our friends, usually people close to us. I have sat with a lot of dying people. And you know the thing they regret most? They regret the brokenness of their relationships with their loved ones. They say, I haven't talked to my sister in five years. And oh, she, they say, it just hurts me. Every day it hurts me. Okay. Someone has to make the first move. Someone has to reach out and say, I love you. I forgive you. Now, you can't control what they do, right? They might forgive you or they might not. But you can control what you do. And I've seen it over and over, friends. It's just so hard and so hurtful. And the reality is it doesn't have to stay that way. It can be healed. Relationships can be healed. And if you don't think that Jesus can heal the brokenness in your relationship, then you have not heard the full story of the power of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that he cannot heal. Because I know you'll say, well, you don't know what happened to me. You know, it was terrible. I know. I've been there. I've had terrible things happen to me, and I've done terrible things. And so we have an opportunity for reconciliation and for peace and forgiveness with the people we love. Nobody wants to die with words left unsaid. Nobody wants to die with bitterness in their heart or with relationships that are broken. Okay, so practice forgiveness with the people you love. The last and most important thing we need to do to be ready to be prepared to die is to be reconciled with God. To be reconciled with God. If you ask most Americans how they want to die, you know what they'll tell you? Quickly, painlessly, and in my sleep. Right? That's what we say. Quickly, painlessly, and in my sleep. So, so it comes as a surprise then to us that one of the most sincere prayers of early Christians was this, God, save me from a quick death. God, save me from a quick death. Now, why in the world would people pray a prayer like that? You know why? Because they were more afraid of God than they were of death. They did not want to go and stand before their creator until they had all their stuff together. Hello? This makes sense, right? You don't want to go and stand before someone who has authority over your life until you have your stuff together. And so, God, please save me from a quick death. Let, let me make sure I'm ready. Let me make sure my heart is right with your heart, God. Let me make sure I have forgiven all the people I need to forgive. The scriptures are pretty clear. If we forgive other people, God forgives us. When we withhold forgiveness from other people, Jesus withholds forgiveness from us. And we say, oh, that's not fair. And Jesus said, I told you to forgive them. 
Right? So there's some forgiveness work for us to do before this day comes. Before this day comes. God, save me from a quick death. Again, friends, my job is not to scare you. My job is to help you be prepared. My job is to help you be prepared. And this is what you need to be prepared for. Uh, There is a day coming when you and I will stand before God Almighty and we will give an account of our lives. And God will judge our lives. God will judge us. And everything we've done or failed to do is going to be laid out for God to see. Now, here's the truth. You are guilty and I'm guilty. Okay, so the verdict, we already know the verdict, is you are guilty. But those who will pass through the gates of heaven are those who are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have confessed and said, Lord, I'm guilty, I'm a sinner, I need your grace and forgiveness for me. Would you make me new? Would you make me whole again? That's the only way that we can be transformed from a guilty person into a child of God is by the grace of Jesus Christ, okay? So everyone has the opportunity to be forgiven. It's just that some people accept it and some people reject it. What I'm imploring you is accept it today. Accept it today. Don't wait because you don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what's going to happen this evening or tonight. Accept it today. Claim the forgiveness that God is offering you through the grace of Jesus Christ. The reason Jesus died on the cross is to save you. He wants to save you. You can be forgiven. You can be made right with God. Friends, now is the time to be reconciled with God. The truth is not everybody receives the gift of a season for dying. Some people do and some people do not. Some people die young. Some people die very suddenly. And that's why at funerals, preachers carry on and on about heaven and hell is so that the people who are there and attentive and thinking about things like death will consider their own mortality and will make things right with God before they go to meet him. Okay, so talk about it openly. Make arrangements in advance. Search your soul and be reconciled to God. This is my best counsel to you for how we can be prepared to die. And remember, you don't have to be afraid because death is not the end. If you believe in Jesus, if you are reconciled to God through him, death is actually the gateway to your eternal life. You know, do you wonder why sometimes you come to a funeral and you hear people use a word like celebration? Because man, death means I'm free. (laughs) Death means I'm in the nearer presence of God. And so one of the things I've started saying is, you know, we're sad for ourselves, but we're not sad for that person who died because they're with Jesus. Where would you rather be than with Jesus for all of eternity, right? So death is the gateway to eternal life for the people of God. I want to finish today by telling you a story. Um, I want to tell you a story about the most beautiful death I have ever witnessed. Her name was Beth, and I was her pastor. And at a relatively young age, Beth was diagnosed with an incurable cancer. She had long gray hair. And it made her look a little bit older than she really was. Um, Beth was 56, 56 years old. And uh, she was an attractive person, just a warm and friendly person. Attractive on the outside, attractive on the inside. The kind of person you wanted to be around. So her doctor got her one day and said, look, you only have a few months to live. And so it's time for you to, you know, do whatever you need to do. Now is the time to do it because you've only got a few months left to live. 
And so Beth called me on the phone and she said, Pastor Brad, I want to meet with you. And we met and she told me this story about her diagnosis. And she said, um, I need to meet with you again, though. And maybe can we meet, you know, once a week for a while. And so we met every week from that time until the time that she died. And we started out in my office at the church, uh, but then when she got too weak to be able to get out and drive the car and stuff, I, I went to her apartment, and we met in her family room. And so we talked. We talked about life and about death and about her relationships and about all the bad and about all the good and the people she loved. And we talked about the people she needed to forgive, and she would kind of check in with me and say, well, I, I did some more forgiveness this week, and I called this person, I met with this person, and she was doing this hard soul work that we need to do. And we used to pray together, you know, we prayed a lot, and we asked for God to give her peace. We asked for God to give her reassurance that, that she is God's chosen one, and she has salvation through Jesus Christ. And one of the things Beth did is she confessed her sin to me. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone's confession before, probably you have, someone you love. Uh, when you're a priest, when you're a pastor, that, you know, that happens um, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like wimpy sense, right? It wasn't like, oh, I said a curse when I was 12 years old. Father, forgive me. You know, it was, it was like real, like gut-wrenching, awful things, you know, that she had done and, uh, things that I would, will never repeat to anyone my whole life. Um, but if you would use your imagination about awful things that someone had done, that's what she had done. And you know what I said to her after she confessed her sin? I said, in the name of Jesus, you're forgiven you are forgiven. So we got near the end, we planned her funeral and she picked out, you know, all the scripture texts and, and all the songs and she wrote the prayers and found some prayers she wanted us to use. And, um, the music, uh, was awesome. The first hymn we sang, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. You know, usually you get that at weddings, uh, but she wanted it for a funeral. Uh, and then the last song that was played was on the organ and at this church, we had this huge pipe organ, you know, hundreds of pipes, and the sound positively filled the room, and it shook you to your core. And we listened to Handel's Messiah uh, uh, on the organ. It was incredible. It was incredible. The hallelujah chorus. Uh, hallelujah. You know, she's alive in Jesus Christ. And I told Beth's story at the funeral. I told her story in the sermon, and uh, she not only gave me permission, she insisted that I tell it, you know what I mean? Like, she's like, Pastor Brad, you will tell this story at the funeral. I was like, okay, you know, I mean, whatever you say, I'll do whatever you want. And uh, she thought if she could help one person, if one person who was in that room could be encouraged by her journey of faith, then she wanted to make sure that we took that opportunity to do that. And so we told her story. We told her story about how she grew up in an abusive household and about how awful her parents had been to her and about how she got married young and she got divorced pretty quickly and how all the guilt and shame that came to her with that divorce and how awful she felt about that. And we talked about her drinking and how she became an alcoholic and she tried to drink away all of her problems, but how Jesus rescued her from all of that and gave her a new life so that she was transformed, so that her life was beautiful and good and right, and she was helping other people get sober, and she was helping other people recover from divorce and recover from abuse. It was the most beautiful death I've ever seen in my whole life. And it's made possible by the grace of Jesus Christ. Friends, death is scary. I get it. Death is scary. But God 
is way, way bigger. Somebody say amen.